I had a fry every day this summer. Working on building sites. You know, now again, we didn't win, so maybe it wasn't the right thing to do. <laughs> <laughs> I should have been there the food and the pasta. <laughs> OTB AM. Live weekday mornings from 7.30 on the OTB Sports app. You're very welcome back. Later on this hour, we're going to be talking rugby. The All Blacks losing a fifth test in six. New Zealand Herald editorial on the front page calling for the removal of Ian Foster as head coach. So things are getting tetchy, to say the least, down in New Zealand. In the meantime, though, we're talking Camogie. Kilkenny won 13. Cork won 12. The uh, final scoreline in the All-Ireland final. Third time in six years, by the way. Just a single point of difference in the final. For Kilkenny, that is two and three years. It is a 15th All-Ireland title. Very happy to say Sarah Donovan, an All-Ireland winner herself with Cork, is with us. Good evening. Good evening. Good evening. Just to uh, set a certain context here, Brian Dowling, the Kilkenny manager, always a really good talker and he was chatting to Ashley O'Reilly at uh, full time and uh, touched on different things, what this All-Ireland means to the group and also what they've been through this year, maybe on and off the pitch as well. So maybe just to set a certain context for the conversation here is a very happy Brian Dowling. So look, the one you win now is the best, you know, it always is. I suppose 2020 was really sweet because we came in <coughs> after losing three All-Ireland finals in a row and the pressure was was huge and just to finally get over the line was, was just unbelievable. You know, I, I suppose I got involved, I was watching on from, the, from you know, the stands or whatever and, you know, I had no, no clue, Camogie, to be honest about it. And I just, when they lost the two, game, two games to Cork two years in a row, I felt sorry for these girls. And, you know, when Anne Downey asked me in, I really wanted to try and help them and, you know, didn't do that in 2019. So I had to come back in 2020 and we got there. And just today is just really extra special because you know my own family is there, the girls' families are there, all our Kilkenny supporters. You know they suffered in in, in 17, 18, 19, didn't get to celebrate in 2020, and you know they're going to celebrate this one. You told me about the heartache um, at the semi-final, just about certain people losing people yourself, your uncle Tommy Shefflin as well. Um, you know, in the Shefflin family, his brother, very tough times. And I suppose days like today, it's nice to to get that win. Yeah, look, we had a lot of tough times, you know, and unfortunately we had another tragedy in, in Tipperary the weekend. And you know, pay, pay respects to Dylan Quirk's family and his, his teammates at this terrible time. You know, it's just, you know, I suppose at the end of the day, that's only a game of camogie out there, and we're delighted we won, but. You know, there's a lot more going on outside of it, and um, you know, we pay our respects and our condolences to his family at this tough time. And look, we, you know, with Tommy's family at the time was a terrible tragedy. You know, and I suppose the, the girls just galvanised around him and around us, and just um, shoved it on together. And we said on Friday night in a team meeting that so much stuff has been thrown at us this year, and we're still here fighting and we're still standing. And thank God we're still standing. You'll enjoy this one. Definitely. Look, in the last time, 2020, I didn't even see the girls on. So we got back to Kilkenny. That was it. I didn't see the girls for about four months after because of COVID. So, look, we we'll enjoy each other's company now and we're definitely going to celebrate this one. We can't wait. Thanks. So, Brian Dowling there uh, talking post-match. It does seem, Sarah, like it was the most extraordinary in a horrific way March and April a group could... Uh, face really so uh, Tommy Shefflin who's part of the coaching ticket his brother Paul passed away as we know and then Brian there who we just heard speaking so his uncle passed away in a house fire completely unexpected obviously Eva Prendergast's grandfather passed away Kira Phelan's grandfather passed away and then Kellyanne Doyle and Eva Doyle both did their cruciate and what Brian Dellian said elsewhere was it seemed like everything was going wrong uh, I'd say it did. I mean, that, that is a group that would just be punch drunk and, and a little bit lost. And it seemed they, they talked about it on the Friday night in the team meeting and said, look, everything that's been thrown at us and, and here we are still fighting. They did channel that stuff. It's, it's always difficult to know, I think, if you're a manager, do we channel that yeah, real life stuff when we're talking about something like Camogie? And they decided to, and I guess it didn't hurt them for sure. 
Yeah, I really enjoyed Grace Walsh's interview as well afterwards. Grace is an incredibly good speaker like her brother and they're not shying away from how emotional this year was for them as a group and, you know, the the grief they were able to channel into something positive. They were under massive pressure yesterday. They had such a quality team performance in the semi-final started so well yesterday going up six points against Cork but were made to fight to the very last ball to make sure that they could get over the line yesterday and that's where I suppose the joy came from after the final whistle and what a great group you know being interviewed by Marty Morrissey on the M9 last night going home as they tried to make the Sunday game just made it back in time for the Sunday game and a great interview with Katie Nolan the player of the match and spoke about that meeting on Friday night that famous meeting and said you know as as difficult as it was and as much emotion was involved they still found great crack in, in the meeting yeah. so it's lovely to have those poignant moments and I suppose that's why the team hotel is such a lovely thing to get back to uh, on nights like the Sunday night after an All-Ireland final Yeah it can always be such a tricky balance because um Munster Rugby famously I mean they all talk about this when they played in their first European final and admittedly this was the night before as opposed to maybe the Friday but they all stood up and talked about what it meant to them to be in a final for the first time and their families and what Munster meant to them and there's a lot of tears and in hindsight quite a few of them have said well maybe we were a touch emotionally drained from that meeting I'll agree. Sometimes you're saying, OK, it's 70 minutes, you know, do your job. Ray Boyne, the analysis um, expert, uh, and you'll see him a lot on, on Twitter. He says, yeah. you know, you're, you do your job. You, you go in and you do one job and, and maybe expressing your emotions before these games can be draining. And, and it's really about finding that balance. But I suppose with this Kilkenny group, particularly 17, 18, 19, those losses, you know, they, they had to really talk about what it is that they weren't doing and what, what they weren't able to do. And, and they kind of created this great spirit in the group and they decided they'd literally die for each other. And, and you know, that's what they've been doing for the last six years. They, they've been going to the well every single year. It hasn't worked out some years. You know, last year they were caught by Cork in the semi-final and, and they wanted to get back and do the double so badly because they're such a good team and they wanted to show their quality. They weren't able to do it, had to go back again this year and do the same. So for a group like that, I think they've shared so much having that emotion and being able to express it was suitable for that group. For some other groups, it's not suitable because they don't know each other well well enough. They wouldn't be able to confident enough to express that. There's been, a, it seems as well, a degree of regeneration about this Kilkenny team because uh, Davina Tobin, Colette Dormer retired, Megan Farrell is travelling and we mentioned Kellyanne and Aoife Doyle who had cruciate injuries. And so uh, presumably that's a f- fairly um, a strong amount of uh, talent to take out of any side. Like Brian Dowling was talking afterwards about, the, he mentioned Tiffany Fitzgerald. He said she's 19 years of age a cornerback she pops up and scores a point so he said that sums up where we are this season did you think they had lost too much maybe Kilkenny in terms of those players I mentioned I had uh, I I thought they were going to struggle but then Cork have also lost a number of players and Galway as well like Galway lost Orla McGrath and Rebecca Henley and that was the quality that Galway lacked to get over the line against Kilkenny two weeks ago so I think every team this year has had to make I suppose massive alterations to their structure even for Kilkenny and Dalton stepping away after 2020 I thought they'd never replace Anne you know because I thought she was such an incredible distributor of the ball but if you looked at the game yesterday the heads up hurling the likes of Katie Nolan Denise Gall like they just know each other inside out and uh, I really enjoyed the way they played and look you know they're what are they 10th consecutive semi-final they had reached they, they know each other so well that comes out in their hurling as well So in the semi-final against Waterford Cork didn't score for 24 minutes and here they were in an All-Ireland final and they don't score for the opening 21 minutes 
Kilkenny go 6-0 up. What's happening in that opening 20 minutes where Kilkenny are blitzing Cork so much? Oh, like, so Kilkenny had a, had a sweeper. Cork had a sweeper. Kilkenny's use of the ball was so much better than Cork's use of the ball. Cork were trying to carry the ball through the lines. Kilkenny are obviously incredibly physical. They were being turned over. Uh, Denise Gall hadn't scored in the previous two games, the quarterfinal and the semifinal from play. And yesterday she had two points on the board inside the first 20 minutes. And I said, oh my God, Denise Gall is going to hit 10. You know, I, I genuinely thought it was going to be one of those games for her. Um, from Cork's point of view, Fiona Keating's goal and the way she took on that Kilkenny defence, I don't think they were expecting it. And I was talking about it today with a couple of friends. In the semi-final, Galway were incredibly um, street smart, mm. uh, as Owen Sheehan put it last Friday. And they weren't allowing Galway to get towards the goal. But yesterday, all of a sudden, the space opened up and Fiona Keating went straight through the centre, buries the ball in the back of the net. And that gave, gives Cork a lifeline. Mm. And I think if that goal hadn't come when it did, I think Kilkenny could have won by 12. You know, it was a really crucial moment. It was a clutch moment that came against the run of play and then Cork built from there. And they did have joy running at the Kilkenny defence. They did. And that's where I was a bit surprised because Kilkenny were so ruthless against Galway in the semi-final. I was expecting the same yesterday and I didn't see it. And I I don't know, was that nervousness? Was it the the crowd? Was it them feeling a little exposed after the semi-final and how how much they had showed of their street smartness um, and that they were trying to possibly play it uh, a little cleaner yesterday? Um, It allowed Cork to go at them and and crucially for Cork Cork were winning the midfield battle and I mentioned on Friday uh, to Owen and Ashling that I felt that Kilkenny's biggest weakness was that their midfield wasn't settled mm. and yesterday Ashling Thompson and Hannah Looney ran that midfield from the 20th minute until the 58th minute when Kilkenny got their goal So Cork rebound after this terrible start they go in at the break level and then up until Kilkenny scored that Sophie Dwyer goal Cork are feeling reasonably good about life they they got the better of the second half up until that Dwyer goal what changed or was it just more a continuation of, of what had happened when they got back into it late in the first half? Uh, crucially for me, their puckouts were incredible. I don't know if um, if people had a chance to see it, but from where we were sitting, Amy Lee as uh, the court captain, she was drilling ball into the, the half-forward line, which was allowing Cork to use the space. Katrina Mackey scored two incredible points in the second half. She had one great one in the first half. But it was Amy Lee's puckouts that were basically giving Kilkenny no chance, a bit like uh, Galway and Limerick in the hurling. Mm. The, mo- the runs that Limerick were making... Cork were doing the same yesterday. They were coming out into spaces. She was pinning the ball at the, at them and they were able to take on the Kilkenny players. And rather than being caught up around the D and being snuffed out or suffocated, the Cork players were able to take their shots from, you know, 40 yards. Uh, Saoirse McCarthy Carty had another great score. Hannah Looney had a great score. So they were around the 45 and they were basically able to take Kilkenny off from, from that angle. And that was what the changing of it was yesterday. So, I mean, it's, it's sport is cruel. You mentioned Amy Lee and she had a very good game and, and her puckouts are brilliant and, and have a real impact on Cork's success. Mm-hmm. And then it only takes a moment as a goalkeeper for the complexion of your performance to re- be remembered in an entirely different way. I've heard it said that uh, there wasn't much she could do. I, 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 I struggle to see it that way. I think she'll be so disappointed with that, no? The, the only thing that I would say, when it's slowed down, um, it looks like she could have potentially caught it but if she catches it and she's already falling back she could end up in the ball, in the back of the net with the ball in the net anyway 
you know, because she was falling. Mm. Uh, the only other option she would have had was instead of batting it straight out, was to bat it to the side. Yeah. Um, I think it was just one of those real panic moments where you know the ball is coming at you, you you hadn't contended for it because it takes two deflections it takes a first deflection and then it takes a second deflection of Ashing Thompson's hurley and while it looks slowed down that that we can do something about it you know obviously in real time it's coming at her at pace but I think if she caught it she'd have fallen back into the net which would have been the same result and I suspect it's asking too much I mean these things are difficult in split second time there's probably an argument you catch it and then you hand pass it to the side and as you're falling back you know these are but again I've had 24 hours to think about what I might do. <laughs> I look, it's the 58th minute and I think she was so surprised that the ball was coming at her the way it did. Mm-hmm. Like The two deflections in, in real time came so quickly. Um, as I said, the only other option, she did have time to bat it, was if she had managed to swipe it to the side. The side. Yeah. yeah, that's the only other thing because, look, Sophie Dwyer's coming in. Um, th- there wasn't actually there wasn't actually anyone within five kind of feet of her. So it, it felt like Sophie had to come in at it. And so she did have a chance to possibly push it to the side, but that's as much as I think she could have done. Yeah. I mean, it's a horrible situation. And as a goalkeeper, then you're scrutinised. And uh, as you said, she'd had a very good game and it's a terrible position to play in. I wouldn't play there in a million no. years. Uh, yeah, my dad was a goalkeeper, but I never actually, <laughs> I never went in there. None of us did. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I, I wouldn't in a million years. I thought, as I said, I thought she was incredible yesterday on the puckouts, um, and it really changed the game for Cork in the second half because it allowed them to get those scores from outside the forty-five and not get swallowed up by the likes of uh, Claire Phelan and Grace Walsh because obviously Kilkenny were choosing to play that sweeper, which meant there was no space, which probably you know, shows why Amy O'Connor, who's, you know, been pro- prolific for Cork over the years, didn't score from play again yesterday. Mm. A moment like that can prove decisive and I suppose ultimately it did, even though Cork did have enough injury time to score an equaliser, they didn't in the end. I saw uh, Paddy Murray on the Sunday game, former Cork manager. Uh, he was talking generally about Cork and also in the final, he said, I th- he, he, he said he was confused really at their approach this season. He said, I think the biggest issue is that they went with a sweeper that puzzled me. If you look at our six backs, we've enough pace to counter the opposition. What about that point? In previous years, Cork have played a sweeper um, and Paddy has been in the instigator of that against different teams and, and particularly against Galway because Galway have such um, potent attack and, and, and running forward. So I was a little surprised that he was suggesting that it was new to Cork right. because it certainly isn't new to Cork and, and there's been some dour finals prior to the last four finals which have been incredibly close um, where the sweeper has ruined it. Um, That's and very interesting because it came across in the Sunday game as if like I can't believe Cork have gone down the route of a, a sweeper over my dead body kind of thing and like this was a new innovation he wasn't impressed with. Absolutely not. Like the, the there was a dour final between Cork and Kilkenny uh, six six years seven years ago. Right. Um, none of us wanted to be there. It was horrendous. But it, <laughs> all because of all because of the sweeper. Okay. And from my point of view, yesterday the second half was a spectacle. I, like as a camogie player, I was thrilled that they actually showed everything about themselves in that game yesterday. Mm. Nobody wanted to lose that game yesterday, but it was a spectacle and it held everyone's attention in the stadium. There's 24,000 people there yesterday. The Mead Ladies footballers were sitting in front of us. And um, there was a like everybody who went to the game yesterday knew that it was going to be a spectacle and, and the second half was. In fairness to Murray, is there any argument that maybe the six defenders Cork have now? don't require a sweeper in there? Maybe is that the point he's making? They have enough pace currently? Uh, to to actually, I suppose to that point, I feel that Cork are 
possibly and you know they they have um Maeve Callan in corner back you've Libby Coppinger in full back you've made Murphy in the other corner Maeve is is very new no more than Tiffany Fitzgerald from Kilkenny who's who's 19 years of age these are new players um Cork replaced Pamela Mackey since 2018. They've replaced Jim O'Connor. They've had to replace Orla Cotter, Orla Cronin, the fulcrum at centre forward. Cork are a team in transition as well. And while I disagree with the sweeper, um, I think this group of players will gain hugely from the, the loss on Sunday and they'll have learned a massive amount. Maeve Murphy will have gained massive experience from playing Kilkenny and next year will be a different player. That's that's my mind um, on the whole setup. It's it's brutal to lose by a point, but the group didn't do themselves, you know, any any injustice. They yeah. they were excellent yesterday. It does seem to take a broader view, like we touched last week on the list of finals over the last uh, decade, really. And you're going back to uh, Wexford until it wasn't really uh, Kilkenny, Cork, or. Galway contesting finals and what's more those finals are hotly contested there tends to be not much between them uh, this doesn't feel even though to be fair it is Kilkenny's second in three years but this doesn't feel like the beginning of an era of dominance that it will be very much nip and tuck between Kilkenny Cork and Galway again next year is that how you'd see it? I do I do and look if you look at the Galway's, Galway team winning the intermediate championship uh, yesterday but, uh, against Cork again uh, very very small margins that intermediate team for Galway can now not play intermediate for two years so there's a cohort of you know 20 players there who have to go up senior yeah. or or won't play again so there'll be a bit of I suppose um, of a turnover with the with the senior group because a few of them I would expect would retire next year and you have a, a fantastic cohort of new players uh fresh from winning in Croke Park coming into that Galway team and that'll really freshen up that Galway team you know Sophie Dwyer gets the winning goal for Kilkenny yesterday she was playing for Kilkenny last year in the intermediate final so those teams and this is why the likes of Dublin Wexford Waterford Tip will always struggle to kind of break that ceiling is they're just pinning in two or three players every year to freshen it up whereas these teams don't have the same quality Interestingly, Brian Downing actually was praising Sophie Dwyer that she stepped up and made the decision to step up from intermediate and she wasn't getting much game time and she kept plucking away and was still at training and uh, got herself off the bench and suddenly you scored the key goal in a, a final. So there's a lesson there in uh, perseverance. On the um, uh, concentration of power, I suppose. So like it was quite striking. I know Antrim and Armagh played in the junior final, but there was something almost... Uh, a touch dispiriting if you're hoping to spread the gospel of Camogie and Hurling like Hurling has struggled to get beyond X number of counties and even in the intermediate final we have Cork against Galway and then we have Cork against Kilkenny Uh, how concentrated is the balance of power in in Camogie like beyond you mentioned Tip there and Dublin and I'm sure Wexford will come again is there any more of a spread than there is in the Hurling? No there's not Um, look they're, they they try very hard you know the, that junior championship yesterday um, Antrim and Armagh yeah. Antrim had actually come up from junior or from intermediate to senior this year and Antrim have played in the senior championship this year did quite well uh, actually lost by six points to Kilkenny in, in the senior championship this year now you know that's quite good you know coming up from intermediate to senior so you you need more of the northern teams um doing well to spread it um in terms of the munster teams claire uh, a very very good team um tipperary beat cork this year in the last group game 117 to 116 i i think it's just that the teams outside of cork galway and kilkenny have to put so much in from january until July mm. to, to put themselves in contention for a top four. The quality that Kilkenny, Galway and 
Cork have, they don't really need to get motoring until the latter stages of, of the group phase. And they don't expend the same amount of energy in the league and the championship to survive that these teams do. And they run out of steam. So like Waterford, 33 weeks on the on the road, when they met Cork, they retired. You know, right. and and that's and that's what I that's what the difference probably is is that they expend so much energy earlier in the year to try and just get to a standard and a level that Kilkenny, Galway, and Cork operate at very comfortably. And I suppose uh, one of the great philosophical questions in hurling and also Camogie: Why can't we spread this game around the country more? I have been playing Camogie for twenty five years, Joe, and the skills that I learned, I learned when I was. 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 and I think the crucial point of this is you need brilliant coaches at underage level in the clubs to bring on the players at that age so that when they come through the ranks they have the skill set and they're just conditioning that skill set you know to, to get the kind of scores that Denise Gall got yesterday yeah. everything that Denise did yesterday she's been doing since she was six, seven, eight years of age but you can't learn those skills in your 20s and I find when I'm coaching in Dublin now there's girls learning to strike the ball you know and that's at club level in Dublin and they've been playing for 15, 20 years they've just never been coached correctly Um, whereas in the likes of Cork, Galway, Kilkenny they've been incredibly lucky to have incredibly diligent coaches and the players have come through with the skill set at 16 which has carried them into Mm. senior championship. So you're almost uh, relying on these random pockets where somebody has moved maybe from a hurling stronghold and says oh I'll take the underage team as opposed to something more concerted on the GAA's part. You absolutely are. I in down in Kerry as an example there's an incredible junior camogie team down in Kerry that has backboned the Kerry junior camogie team you know for for the last 10 10 years and there's a group of girls down there who have been together from the age of 8 and and they consistently show up for Kerry i think there's 13 of the the girls on the on the Kerry team right. from the one club mm. but that that group of players is an incredibly um uh, consistent group because they've been together from that young age and that's why they're able to, to train at the level that, that they play at with Kerry now. Yeah. I mean, I have heard this about hurling Camogie before as well. If you're not starting at a young age, uh, frankly, you have no chance because we do see, uh, particularly in female sports, you will see GAA athletes uh, transferring over to rugby and in like a an amazingly quick period of time they might be representing Ireland at rugby. That's just a no-go at hurling. You, like, start hurling at 1920, best of luck. It doesn't happen. It, it genuinely doesn't happen. The skills that you learn in hurling, you learn before the age of 12. There's, I, I, I can't name one player who wasn't hurling before the age of 12 who is now an inter-county senior hurling or camogie star. Right, and I'll okay. be, I'm, I'm open to correction here, yeah. lads, but I genuinely think that the hurley is in your hand at the age of six or six, six or seven and those skills are non-transferable <laughs> after, after 12, 14. Yeah, 53106, if anyone can name anyone, we'll welcome the text in. Uh, what would you say about the season as a whole? Really, really positive season. The championship was incredibly competitive on the last day on both sides. There was teams with an opportunity to qualify for a quarter final. There was teams in the relegation battle. Um, 12 teams in the championship is critical because it allowed for really competitive games and the likes of Tipperary stealing one over Cork, Dublin getting a great win over Waterford, uh, Antrim you know, running Kilkenny close and then Kilkenny becoming All-Ireland champions. There's been some incredible games this year and uh, right right through the ranks and Antrim yesterday, mm. pipping Armagh. Armagh had beaten them three times this season and Antrim came out to Croke Park yesterday and stole the show. Okay, very good, Sarah. Thanks for the time being. Appreciate it. No worries. Cheers. Good luck.